Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Jimmy Ma, a former Queensland Australian cricketer, playing 206 first-class matches, scoring 13,144 runs at 38.78. He is part of the first ever Queensland team to win the Sheffield Shield and was part of the 2003 World Cup winning team. Post-career, he's the CEO of the Queensland Bulls Masters and loves a punt and a cold beer. And Jimmy Cassidy, a retired New Zealand jockey who has been inducted in both the Australian and New Zealand Racing Hall of Fame. He's a two-time Melbourne Cup winner, winning in 1983 on Kiwi and 997 aboard Might and Power. He's also won a Cox Plate, two Caulfield Cups and a Golden Slipper. And he's a mad golfer. Let's get started. Today on the show, Jimmy Ma, a former Queensland Australian cricketer. Welcome, Jimmy Ma. G'day, Meadow. How are you, mate? Mate, really good to hear your voice, mate. And second guest, Jimmy Cassidy, a retired New Zealand jockey. Welcome, Jimmy Cassidy. Welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. Now, have you two boys met each other before? Yeah, we have. We met at the Cox Plate. Winks is uh, Winks Winks third victory. Yeah. So, Jimmy, mate, I was doing a bit of research on you. Jimmy, this is Jimmy Cassidy. I'll call you Marbo, Jimmy Ma. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Cassidy, mate, so you, you're born in New Zealand. Yes. It's almost almost destiny, mate, that you you worked your way into the Australian history books, winning on the Melbourne Cup on a horse called Kiwi. Yeah, not a horse. Uh, to to be a Kiwi and win the, the Melbourne Cup, which stopped the nation in those days, it's yeah. now stopping the world. So uh, a great a great experience, a great thrill to ride in it, to win it on a horse called Kiwi. Going back to New Zealand uh, a couple of days later was outstanding. What were the celebrations like after winning a Melbourne Cup? Uh, well, I'd had a few. Uh, <laughs> it continued on for a long, long time. I did actually fly back to Christchurch on the Friday to ride for my boss in a Group 1 on a good filly called Burletta. Uh, yep. I did win on her, but what happened, I can't really remember. But it was a good ride. <laughs> and Marbo, mate, some of the celebrations we had, I think we, we go back nearly 30 years, Marbo. I know, a bit, a bit long in the tooth now, aren't we? We're a bit long in the tooth, but I think it was the Australian under-19s in New Zealand. We, we went on our first tour together. But you were part of the, the Queensland um, Sheffield Shield team winning the first ever yeah, Shield. How, how were those celebrations, mate? Oh, mate, it was unbelievable, Meadow. I mean, I was, a, as a young bloke growing up in, in Innisfail, North Queensland, I you know, remember saying to me old man when I was about 10 that I was going to play with AB one day, and he sort of laughed a bit and just said, yeah, right, mate, he'll be, he'll be well until he finished by then. But And I used to be listening to the wireless all the time and, you know, time and time again, Queensland had just fall at that last hurdle, you know, in the mid-80s and big Carl would be bowling, his, you know, the, the house down at the SCG and just couldn't quite get across the line and it just could never work out. You know, you look, go through our team back in those days, Wessels, Chapel, yeah. Border, Richie, yeah. Thompson, Rackham, and how they could not win a shield was just beyond me. It was like a, a world team. And obviously New South Wales had a great side as well. But so, yeah, to, to sort of, you know, fast forward 10 years later and, you know, I was 19 at the time and, um, you know, get to play with AB and, and be part of that first ever shield. It was just amazing. I mean, more so, I think, for me, was guys like Dirk yep. Tasla, Mocker, yep. AB, particularly Trevor Barsby, those guys who tried for so long and couldn't get across the line. So to be a young bloke in that team was was awesome. Now, Pumper, how did you, you get your nickname? Pumper, where's that come from? Oh, my first girlfriend, she was six foot two. 
What a name to give me, the pumper. I love it. It's stuck. And uh, actually at the function yesterday, I had a lot of people, no one calls me Jimmy anymore. It's pumper this, pumper that. And someone asked me yesterday. And uh, I was about the smallest person in the room when you've got uh, Willie Mason and Luke Burgess and all the footy boys there, Braithen and Asta. And then you've got little Jimbo walking around at four foot two. They, they said to me, what was your ambition in life? I said, I had two. One to be an all black and one to be a jockey. I said, but I had to be a jockey because I've never seen a four foot two all black. <laughs> <laughs> and and Papa, your your son in law, um, Zach Burton, quick question about him. Who's a better jockey? You or him? Well, I'm pleased to say that it's probably me, but he has learned a lot off me. And uh, he's probably the only jockey I know that he can stand on his wallet and clean an eighty-three story building. <laughs> Mate, would you would you have let your daughter date him if his his nickname was Pumper? Um, <laughs> probably not, eh? Probably, probably not. not. <laughs> probably not. But I know what jockeys are like. I knew what I was getting into. And uh, look, he killed him over the weekend. He won the Hong Kong Cup. He won the yeah. Jockey Challenge yeah. on the Wednesday night. Uh, I just sent him a little text. A little bit short of cash. Can you send me some? <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Hey, Marbo, so another role of yours growing up was Doug Walters. Is, is there any truth in the story that you found his number years ago when you were about seven or eight in the phone book and actually called him? I did. I found him in your dad's Refidex. We had a place called Sports World <laughs> in Cairns, and he came up to do a few speaking things, and yep, um, yep. I saw his name there one day and I thought, geez, I might give him a ring. And I was only about eight, I reckon. And uh, so I rang Dougie. I said, oh, mate, it's Jimmy Marr. I hit under, the, I hit under my dad's workbench and, and I said, mate, uh, Jimmy Ma here, I'm, I'm Warren's son. And he wouldn't have a clue who that was at the time. And um, I said, mate, I need a sign back. Can you send me a sign mini bat of the New South Wales SEAL team? Sure enough, three days later, it turned up. Oh, really? And then he was just an idol of mine. So I started smoking about two years later when I was 10. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and that's true because didn't your dad bust you down? You, you were sne- sneaking down your long backyard and hiding behind a bush smoking and you, you got busted down there, didn't you? I did. I had to bloody... I was smoking like a green log under these trees at Sports World. And then um, me, me, me brother and sister came and wanted to find me. So they did. And then they went and told Dad and true to Dad, I was a 10-year-old sitting in the lounge room at home there. And he made me smoke about eight Winfield Reds in a row with a three-second drawback or I'd get a clip across the ear. And, and then I was sort of being half smart going, how easy is this, you know? And then uh, he pulled out a big Cuban cigar. And it was bigger than my arm at the time. So then he's lit that up and... Uh, and away I went, started draw, had to draw back that as well. But anyway, it worked because I stopped smoking. I never had another cigarette till I was 12. <laughs> hey, Pumper, see, um, in cricket, there's quite a bit of sledging. What's it like when you, when you come into the yard after you've, you've had a, a, a bad race? Do you, do you cop much sledging from the punters? Oh, sledging, yeah. Look, it was funny. I was at Flemington one day. I was on a favourite of Bart's. So I think I'd only been in Anthony Cummings, sorry. And I'd only been riding at Flemington. It was about my third trip down there, early 80s. And uh, I was trotting back in and a bloke's chasing me up the race between the flowers, the roses there. Is the other one out giving it to me? Go back to Sydney, you mug Cassidy. Who taught you to ride? And I'm thinking, what am I going to say here? This bloke's going to jump the fence. And I turned around and I said, ask your missus, mate. She didn't mind last night. Well, he was going to jump the fence. So I had me scully off ready to build him. <laughs> Brought him back to the field in a hurry, I can tell you. <laughs> Hey, Marbo, what, what were some good sledges you encountered in your playing days, mate? Because it was always good banter, particularly between New South Wales and Queensland. We, we had some great matches over the years, but um, do, any sort of sledges come to mind, mate? Mate, not really sledges, but more more gamesmanship, I think. You know, we yeah. sort of 
we had good respect for each other, as you know, and it was really tough cricket. So, you know, you, you, you were too busy worrying about what you had to do. But I remember one time at the SCG when we played New South Wales at full strength and AB and Heels in the team meeting said, now listen, boys, to Roy and I particularly, don't say anything to Tugger. Just don't sled, you don't say a word to him. So anyway, um, we played this game at the SCG and um, New South Wales were in all sorts of trouble. We got a good score and um, you played that game actually. And, and Tugger um, clipped one off Bick down the leg side. Heels took a screamer, uh, smashed it straight up the middle of the bat. But, you know, as per usual, the SCG, Tugger's mum, and dad was scoring and his uncle was umpire and so he couldn't get him out. <laughs> anyway, um, I remember after about, you know, a while, Roy and I started looking at each other and say, Jesus, like this is really hard not to say anything. Yeah. And Tugger was going really good. So he actually started the fight. So he was looking to pick a fight with one of us. So he said, you know, you're not happy with that. And I just couldn't help myself and I, I couldn't yeah. bite my tongue. I said, yeah, well, your dad's umpiring again, mate. How do we get you out down here? It's a joke. And uh, and he, he went on to get about 95 and, and won you the game. And I just, yeah, AB and Heels just said, Marbo, I told you don't say anything to Tugger. Just gets him going. So, yeah, I didn't really say much after that. Mate, he was a tough bastard. Hey, Papa, what, what was the number one horse you think you rode? Oh, look, Kiwi was my favourite in respect. Yeah. Um, Sentimental too, I suppose. To me. I used to take my push bike to school from the time I could uh, ride a girl's bike because I was too little to ride a boy's bike. I couldn't get my leg over the bar, so I had to take a girl's bike to school. And I'd leave, <laughs> leave that first Tuesday in November at 1 o'clock to go home. The teacher said, where are you going? I said, I'm going home to watch the Melbourne Cup. I'm going to ride in one one day and win it. Well, about five or six years later after I left school at 15, I was 20 when I won the Cup. Uh, I went back and skin, seen my old school teacher. He actually gave me 10 out of 10 because he gave me no marks at school for anything. I think I got one for English for spelling my name right. <laughs> so I, I proved the point that uh, I had an ambition in life. And, uh, I think had I never rode another winner after the Melbourne Cup, I would have been satisfied because it was a dream. And uh, that's what I tell a lot of the young fellas today. Dreams do come true if you, uh, if you pursue them. Hey, Marbo, tell me through that 2003 World Cup that you are part of. Um, and I believe you've got a... You put a race call together for that. I did, mate. Well, you know, before it started, we sort of said, you know, there's a lot of time in between games and, um, you know, I was part of the social committee and we had to sort of keep people up and about because it was a long tour, as you know. They go for about seven right. or eight weeks, those World yep. Cups. And, you know, uh, we were staying at a place called Potches from. Um, but it was actually the, the, the time um, where we had to work out what to do. We, we did this race night. So I had to put all the names together and I went and recorded a race you know, under, I hid in the back blocks of one of the hotels and recorded this race and then I put up a market so all the boys were there and some of the names were, uh, Warney was wipe your ass with 50s by spend a lot out of buckets. Uh, then you had Adam Gilchrist was ears gilly by Dumbo out of Wigner. Um, Darren Lehman was the Shrek by Yoda out of Jabba the Hutt. So we did like a full race call and, and a preview and I remember going up to Gilly and uh, Adam Gilchrist and, you know, we did it like a, a preamble as well. So it went for about two hours and then the race call. And thankfully, like all the time, no one backed the winner, which was which was quite good. But <laughs> it was quite funny. You had wipe your ass with 50s charging at the line. Here's Gilly comes and here's the Shrek. Here comes the Shrek, Chief Small Dick, Chinese Captain. Wipe your ass with 50s. You've got him again. <laughs> oh, brilliant, mate. And, and what were the celebrations like after that, Marbo? Oh, mate, that was crazy. Look, that was, a, that was the, the World Cup where... Obviously, Warney, um, you know, got told to take that diuretic by his mum and decided yep. to do it. And then, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> so he missed out. And then all of a sudden, we lost uh, Gillespie through the tournament. Um, That's right. Uh, Michael Bevan was injured at the start. Buff was out for racial vilification in a game against uh, Sri Lanka at the Gabba. So we're really under the pump. And we'd gone from, 
you know, we were out the gate. We were we opened the two dollar fifty favourites, and I think we were ten to one before the first game because we'd lost so many players. So, mate, to go through that tournament undefeated was just incredible. Some unbelievable performances by Ricky Ponting, Andrew Simons. You know, came of age on that trip, as you'll remember, one hundred and forty yes. against Pakistan, game one at the Bull Ring. It was just amazing. It was just a great a great group of people, a great team. We had a lot of fun off the field, and I think that went a long way towards uh, our results on the field. Yes, Papa, it's interesting because um, I was lucky enough to be part of the, the 99 World Cup winning team, and we you get to hold the trophy and you, you drink out of it, and it's fantastic. With the Melbourne Cup, do they do you, do you they engrave your name in the Melbourne Cup, or do you get given a replica? What, what happens there? You get a little replica. Um, okay. I tried to get uh, a few cans of uh, VB and bits and pieces in it. In the end, I just put straight scotch in it and just <laughs> – uh, it was just absolutely beautiful. Nice big bottle of Glenfinnick. It just went down so nice. Because you'd be thirsty, wouldn't you? Because you, you've got to dehydrate yourself pretty much before every race, don't you? Well, back in 83, I was a bit lighter. Uh, yep. only had 52 in the cup, but uh, the celebrations were just outstanding. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And the good thing was after I won the little $22,000, I got my mate. Back in those days, the $100 notes were grey nurses. Cash them into $20 bills. He said, what for? I said, I'll show you when you come back. So he bought me a little Air New Zealand bag back with 22000 and little orange $20 bills. I went home, took my gear off, tipped it on the bed, and at 20 years of age, pump was rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bubba, who were some of the – you mentioned at the start there were some really big characters in that Queensland team. But, like, Carl Rackerman, to me, he was hysterical, wasn't he? Oh, mate, he was hilarious. He, he just make you laugh without even trying. They call him Mocker because his first game for Queensland, he wore a pair of moccasins his mum made for him <laughs> on the farm. Uh, he was late He was late on the ground one day and, you know, AB, as you know, and, and heels were quite pedantic about, you know, being on time. And one day on the – you know, he was late putting his shoes on or whatever and he couldn't find his socks. He had two on one foot and that's that's where he and he couldn't find where the other one was and then he got onto the ground and everyone's going off their head and Carl's about an over and a half late. He's supposed to open the bowling and ABs just give it to him and then he said, well, back on the farm, Alan, if you're late for the tractor, the crows don't pick your eyes out. Now, give me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so he was great and, and just in the room, he'd get room service and we used to stay at a place in Sydney, the Bondi Grand and I remember yeah. they had they had one small divan bed. We used to room together, and I was on that one with my knees hanging over one end. Carl would get in the room, and and he'd lie on the bed, and his ankles would be over, and he'd ring up and ask for a, a king-size bed. He said, this bed is not big enough. Or he'd ring room service and ask them for um, bacon and eggs. And with the eggs, if you think they're cooked, cook them some more. He hated <laughs> runny eggs. And he, the poor bloke would turn up at the, at the door, and he'd take the big silver tray off and check the eggs. And if they were too runny, put them back and say, get them back to the chef. They're not cooked. <laughs> very funny man. Mate, he's a very funny man. I remember um, you guys were doing pre-season and that he started to do like swimming pre-season. He said, you don't see uh, Kieran Perkins having a net before a big meet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did that. John Buchanan bought a lot of those things in. We did a rock climbing course too somewhere. Right. And uh, he just said, no. I'm not doing it. And he said, well, it's a team thing. You've got to do it, um, Mocker. You know, we're, we're all doing it. We're all climbing the wall. No, Sir Edmund Hillary didn't have a net the week before he climbed Mount Everest. <laughs> we might just take a quick break here. I'm cooking today, Dan. It's just you and I. Lunch for two. I'm going to make us a little stuffed ravioli with pumpkin, with some amaretti, and some burnt sage butter. And I'm going to serve that with a crisp Riesling, mate. It's going to be beautiful. And, of course, no Brian's beer. 
It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com and just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansportshq.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Hey, Papa, you're um, away from the from the racetrack, mate. You love your golf. Yeah, I love your golf. And what are you, what are you playing off now? Oh, I'm off 11.2. I actually had wow. a game yesterday. I was a little bit erratic, but... Uh, yeah. When I'm sort of on my game three or four days a week, I'm sort of pretty consistent around nine, ten, eleven. So I'm. So that means five. That means five in jockey speak. <laughs> no, no, I've cheated at everything in life, guys, but I've never cheated at golf. <laughs> and and Mabe, you, you you love your racing too. Racing's in your blood, isn't it, mate? I, I just got the great J A Cassidy. What a ride! Might and power ninety seven. Yeah. We played a shield game in in Melbourne at the MCG, and we had two days off before the the one day and. Uh, I remember Jeff Foley came running in the dressing room. He said, oh, boys, I've, anyone want to go to the Melbourne Cup? You know, I've got some tickets, da 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 And everyone said, oh, no, it'll be a nightmare, you know, frigging uh, getting in and out of the joint, be, you know, so we're just going to have a day off, go to the pub. But I actually said, no, I, I reckon it's a once-in-a-lifetime, let's do it. What Foles didn't tell everyone was he had a helicopter book to pick us all up to go and land in the middle of the track, and we were on the finish line wow. in a corporate area with this guy from England who just, he bet in telephone numbers. But anyway, I uh, on the day I loved Might and Power. I was a huge fan, and I just thought it's just going to go to the front. And we were on the peg, and I actually thought it got rolled, like as everyone did, even the caller. I think, you know, Doremus. I think it was Doremus stuck his neck out, and, and and you'd swear that that it got beaten. And the way I was going that day, everything was just turning to shit. So I thought it had got nutted. But um, what an amazing! That was an amazing ride, Pumper. Gosh, I'll never forget that. Yeah, that was special. Uh, I- Probably the first horse, well, he was the first horse to lead all the way and win the Cup until it happened again this year, and what a ride that was. But uh, yeah. as we went to the line, I was in front, heads up, heads down, and then I look across to the right and there's G. Hall, got his hand up in the air, 
So I was a little bit gutted and I thought, nah, I'm not going to drop my guard yet. I continued on to see the great man, Johnny Letts. I said, what number's in the frame, Letts? He said, you got it, pump number three. Hey, I looked across at Greg Hall. I said, geez, that Sheila in row 48 in the grandstand must have had good tits. You're waving to her. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually think you'd got up, pump? I, I didn't know. Look, to be honest, when Hawley went up and he's waving his hand, look, he was a great jockey, Hawley, and he was very hard to beat in a tight finish. Uh, I thought he had beaten me in respect of him doing that. Uh, but I never, it's never over until the fat lady sings, the number's got to be in the frame. And, and it was Papa's number. Could you, could you see him coming or were you just looking straight ahead? I was looking straight ahead. I was trying to hit him everywhere he had hair and uh, <laughs> he got his head down at the right time. Uh, what a finish. Uh, was very hard. Two funny things. If you ever have a look at that Melbourne Cup again, as we go out of the straight approaching the 1800, there was about four or five people standing really close to the running rail in the back straight. I actually pulled Mike and Power off the fence to half sort of so he wouldn't shy at them and, yep. and, and get him racing too keen. And then once again, once we straightened for home, I had uh, – I had my dopey brother Larry outside me. I told him not to take me on, and he did. Um, and then there was a guy running out on the track about the 300-metre mark, and I was pleased he was sort of in the middle of the track because if he had been in front of me, I dead set would have gone straight over top of him. Big time. <laughs> hey, Pumper, it's probably not a good question for a horse like Might and Power, but I've always wanted to know when you're in a race and you say you're three back the fence, are the jockeys talking on the way around to each other? Oh, look, there's, there's a lot of uh, talking and yelling and screaming and like tempo-related if something's coming back in your face or something gets checked, they're all yelling and screaming. And, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a, lot, a lot more talk goes on in the race than what people think, more so probably from the 600, 800 coming home and, and probably the first furlong and a half in, in any race when you're trying to get a position. Right. So and they we'll- come back and... A little bit of banter as in get out of my way and if you shorten one up, there's always a little bit of screaming and yelling, but oh, it was always good fun. I loved it. Would a jockey ever say, you know, I'm done, go around me or something like that? No, no, nothing like that. But, look, it was jockeys would never pull out of the way deliberately to let another one through because obviously with the cameras and everything, you've got to yeah. be out there giving your runner every possible chance to win and that's what a lot of jockeys and myself got charged with. So, but if the horse is clearly beaten that you're on, surely you've got to make give the others every chance. Oh, look for sure. And and if one's coming back in your face, you'll yell out, "Stay there!" If it's no matter what jockey it is, stay there, mate. Stay there. I'm I'm coming out. So it doesn't cause too much carnage and interference to other runners at the same time. If you're enjoying this episode, why don't you check out a previous episode with Mike Whitney and Jeff Lawson for all things cricket and New South Wales. Hey, Pumper, with the with the um, with the COVID this year and and no one being at the racetrack, do some horses respond to the big bigger crowds? Um, do you I, think? I think they've enjoyed it. Like that was a question I was asked uh, when I was doing a podcast prior at Melbourne Cup. Normally, you've got you know the around the mounting yard, you've got twenty four horses in there. You've got people stacked to the rafters, and I think this year I, I took notice of the mounting yard where a lot of horses walk around a lot more relaxed. Because by the time you get round the yard, everyone's geeing up. By the time the cup comes, there's a lot full of drink. Uh, you've got to go down that 200-metre race to get out onto the track. 
So in one respect, I think the jockeys were, were quite happy that that big buzzy atmosphere wasn't there, gotcha. uh, which keeps the horses a lot calmer and a lot more relaxed prior to the race because if there's that, that excitement, more so the year I rode Might and Power, he was, he was a big animal, he was on the go, and I had to go with the pony just to keep him a little, little bit more relaxed where Kiwi walked around the mounting yard asleep and only really woke up at the clock tower. Gotcha, mate. Hey, Marvo, speaking of the mounting yard, you're now the CEO of the Bulls Masters. Want to talk us through that? Yeah, mate, we sort of, your start's been going 10 years now. It was basically born on the idea of, um, you know, with cricket getting more, much more professional these days, it's hard to get current players to get back into regional Queensland, get out to the country and promote the game. When I was a kid, it was, it was quite often you'd see a Greg Chappell or a Jeff Thompson or an AB, you know, come to Cairns or an Innisfail where I was growing up. And that sort of gave you the you know desire to want to go on to bigger and better things. But so we sort of decided that we've got to get back to these regional centres and do coaching clinics, hospital visits, school visits, promote the game of cricket, but at the same time have a fundraising element. So we have a dinner, a golf day and a cricket match. Yeah, um, and as past players, it's it's great to, to catch up. The camaraderie and, and that involved in is fantastic. And we can raise some good money for local junior cricket and have a good time and go on a tour and don't have to warm up or go to the nets. Now, the Bulls Masters, you do some fantastic things, mate. Is any corporate sponsors out there want to get on board, particularly for regional um, Queensland, mate, to give you a call, mate, because you do, a, you do a fantastic job. Now, I ask everyone the same question on the show, and I'll ask you first, Marbo. Um, if you uh, saw a young cricketer right now, what advice would you give him? Yeah, I would say, um, like, you, like I've, I was told, you've always got to enjoy the game. I think there's a lot of things out there at the moment, um, a lot of distractions. Money's a big distraction. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, the game is changing that you can actually make a, a career out of T20 cricket. But I think at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we promote test cricket, one-day cricket for Australia as the bee's knees because they're, they're the most important games. And, um, you know, I think it, it's uh, the, the 2020 element is there for the fans. It's there for kids. And it's a great introduction. Uh, it's like a, the fast food of cricket, but I think you want to keep striving to be the best. Um, you know, it's not just all about 2020, but mm. enjoying the game, training really hard, and and not you know not letting the money influence you too much because uh, at the end of the day, people you know they don't look back at that; they look back at your stats and what you won and what teams you're in, and I think that's the important the important part of the game. Yeah, the memories are the keys. Papa, what advice would you give to a young jockey coming through right now? Oh, look, when opportunities come, take them. Um, the world is your oyster. It's what you want to sacrifice and what you want to put into it. You put plenty in, this racing game will give you plenty back, but you must be prepared to uh, to sacrifice Christmas and New Year's Day and all these little things that come along. I've always said to the boys, uh, and I used to think it myself, it's easy to get to the top, but it's very hard to stay there. You must work at it, and dreams come true. If you've got a dream to be a jockey, be a cricketer, be a golfer, the opportunity's there. You just go out and get it and work hard and uh, the title turn, it will come your way when you keep putting in. Hey, Marbel, I meant to tell you this years ago, but I want to thank you, mate. Um, I remember you and I having a, a beer after a Shield game in Queensland. I think I was captain at the time. And um, I kept giving you quite, buying you quite a few beers over the course of the night. And I, and I said to you, mate, how do you know when to bat and bowl in Queensland? And you said to me, Shano, you, you're looking the wrong way. You don't look down at the wicket at the Gabba, you look up at the sky. And he said, if it's a clear sky, no matter how green the wicket is, you still bat. And vice versa. So thank you for that, mate. That helped a lot. I don't know if you remember telling me, but it helped us in future games. It was amazing, mate, because it was like any visiting teams, particularly Victoria and South Australia, 
they would do that all the time. You know, they'd go, Lord, there's branches on the wicket. And it yes. didn't really, it wasn't so much that. It was, it was, it did look green, obviously, and it was difficult. But if it was a blue sky, it was the best time to bat. Um, and the opposite, if it was a flat wicket, but it was cloudy, as you know, the ball swings yes. a lot up here. And um, a flat white wicket in one day cricket, even on a cloudy day, is hard to bat on. So uh, it was a little secret we sort of had for a long time. And I, I, I told you that at the end of the career too, not the start. <laughs> oh, we, we got we got a few wins up there, mate. But uh, look, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. I think um, I was really excited. This is my last lunch with Lee for this year. Um, I think we've done forty shows this year, so it's been a it's been a big year. So I want to wish everyone Merry Christmas. Uh, but I want to thank you to the two Jimmies. I wanted to finish with that because you're both Aussie larrikins. You're good blokes. You love a beer and a and a, and a punt. Um, but you're always also good to be around the, in the bar, mate. So thanks, boys, for coming on the show. Pleasure. Merry Christmas to all your listeners, mate, and to you guys. Merry Christmas. We'll catch up in the new year and have a sherbet or two for sure. Let's have a round of golf, Papa. What do you reckon? Love it. Love Love it. Merry done, Christmas, Meadow. Merry Christmas, Papa. Good on Happy you, mate. Happy year, brother. Thanks, boys. Take care. All the best. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Jimmy Cassidy and James Maher. And thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, The Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. And if you're passionate, leave a review. Also, come check us out on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. And that's it for this year. We'll be back next year with some more great guests. But until then, have a great Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>